Welcome once again to the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Martinez alongside Joe Torrey, episode number four. Wow, we've made it four episodes. Yeah, we're worldwide now. We're everywhere. All the places that you asked, are we going to end up on iTunes or Stitcher? We're worldwide. Yeah. We ended up everywhere. And uh, we appreciate everybody that's listening to the podcast, the first uh, three episodes. We hope you enjoy this one as well. Uh, This podcast, we're going to focus a lot on goaltending. We're going to get into some other stuff as well uh, throughout this, including we're going to report from Anthony Mangione on the uh, Flyers development camp, which is, as we tape this, just basically wrapping up. They did a three-on-three tournament uh, today, which is Tuesday, and we'll get into kind of how some guys looked at the Flyers development camp. We're also going to talk to uh, Flyers' new goaltender, Brian Elliott, the Moose. Nice. Yes. Out of University of Wisconsin. He is the Flyers goaltender, two-year deal. The bridge to Carter Hart or the bridge to Felix Sandstrom or the bridge to Alex Lyon or maybe the bridge to Anthony Stoll. I don't know what he is, but <laughs> he's going to be on the show today. And we will talk to uh, Brian Elliott. Looking forward to that. A lot of things to get to with him. Of course, Joe, he, he's a guy that has gone with some pretty wild goalie setups when it comes to his pad selection uh, last year with the, the Calgary Flames, he had the all red look. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he's going to go with like the all orange look and look like the uh, uh, what's the guy? The uh, the 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 the, uh, the orange juice guy, the sun kissed guy. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might the, be a little much. Yeah, that might be a little bit much, but I'm always interested in his kid. I'm interested in the paint job. Real quick uh, bit of housekeeping before we dive into things. Bunch of people I know, Jason, they've been asking you. They've been asking me, you know, how can this thing grow? We, everything's been so good. And, you know, we want to see more. A couple different things that you can do to help us out big time. First of all, rating us on iTunes and commenting, leaving reviews on our podcast on iTunes. That's tremendously helpful for us. Obviously, you keep listening on Wildfire Radio. That's also tremendously helpful for us. Let them know what you think of the job that we've been doing and everything else. Also, if you're interested in teaming up with us, Obviously, any kind of uh, work that you could do with us would help out tremendously with both the production of this podcast, with uh, the kind of things that we can do going on locations, maybe even increasing the frequency of this podcast. If you're interested in any of that stuff and you've got a company or you know a company that'd be a great partner for us, uh, reach out to us at stick2hockeybiz, B-I-Z at gmail.com. Yeah, that's the uh, the, the uh, email address to get us. You can get us on Twitter as well at stick2hockeypod on Twitter or at Jason Mert or at Joe. Torty on Twitter as well. We're going to go through some questions today. Uh, we're also going to go through our, we're going to rank our top five goalies going into this season. You and I both believe goalie is the most important position of all sports. We, we put the goaltender ahead of uh, uh, of the quarterback in football. The quarterback leaves the field. The goalie oh, that's never easy. leaves the Yeah, that one's easy. So to, to us, it's, it's not an argument, but it's not really an argument that we're having today. But we're going to focus on the goaltending position because it's one thing that it, teams that have success have good goaltending for the most part. Every once in a while you get a team that wins the cup that doesn't have a great goaltender, i.e. the 2010 Blackhawks. They had Antti Niemi, although he played well in those playoffs. Still, he's not like an all-time goaltender. Now, as a matter of fact, he's the backup of the Pittsburgh Penguins. But what we have here in front of us, Joe, and let's get right into it. We have the list of the free agent goaltenders, where they played last year and where they signed. And this kind of relates to Brian Elliott because, of course, he played for a bunch of years there in St. Louis uh, with the uh, St. Louis Blues under Ken Hitchcock. Had some success. They opted to move on from him and uh, make way for Jake Allen. Uh, Good move for them, Jake Allen. Allen, uh, working with Marty Brodeur last year, had a pretty darn good, especially second half of that season. But let's look at some of these goaltenders now and where they're going. And let's start off with a guy that I thought was going to end up here in Philadelphia, did not, 
actually ends up in Colorado. Not a situation I would love to be in, but Jonathan Bernier, he's got the connections to Ron Hextall, who was in L.A. when they drafted him. Uh, he's uh, 28 years old at this point, played for the Kings, played last year as the backup in Anaheim, got into a playoff game, didn't fare very well, but he ends up in Colorado on a one-year deal making 2.7. Do you like Jonathan Bernier and that situation out there in Colorado? For Bernier, it's a good setup because I don't know how many teams were going to be willing to give him a crack at being the guy out there, and it looks like Bernier is going to be given every opportunity. Now, if you're a Flyer fan or you're listening in the Philadelphia area and you're saying, man, I thought with the Hexdall connection and everything like that, it's a shoe in Well, you take a look at the Brian Elliott deal, right? It's two years, $5.5 million. It's one year, $2.75 million for Bernier. That kind of tells you all you need to know about what Ron Hextall at least thought of Jonathan Bernier. It's not an overwhelming price. So if you're not going to go that high for a 28-year-old goaltender when you've been that familiar with him, it's clear that the Flyers weren't all that interested to begin with, or at least at the very top, Ron Hextall decided to pass at that price. Yeah, and Bernier, of course, was the 11th overall pick way back in the uh, 2006 draft by the Kings. He's a guy that had, was a starter in Toronto. It was a bad time to be a starter there in Toronto, uh, in Anaheim, but it's been mostly a backup in most of his career. You get a guy in Elliott who has been a starter, carried the mail, um, not as the bona fide number one that played 65 games, but uh, Brian Elliott's a guy who now ends up here in Philadelphia. You just alluded to him, uh, two-year deal, $5.5 million. He's the Flyers goalie. We'll talk to him coming up, but let's go to a couple other guys. Philip Grubauer, uh, of course, drafted by uh, George McPhee in Washington. He remains in Washington. One-year deal to stay there and back up, back up Braden Holpe. Maybe one of the greatest jobs in the world because Holpe plays a ton of games. Something about this stinks, doesn't it? With yeah. Grubauer being 25 years old and getting $1.5 million, you would think that with all the money that Washington's throwing around, backup goaltender, especially when Holpe's going to play 70 games, yeah. it, it seems like that'd be a place where they're going to save. I would not be surprised at all if Grubauer were trade bait in the upcoming months. Well, you could see if, if a goalie goes down in a situation, he certainly could be one of those guys. Uh, Holpe last year played in 63 games the year before that, uh, upwards of 70, I believe. Chad Johnson, who uh, shared time last year alongside of Brian Elliott uh, with Calgary, now 31 years old. It's hard to believe he's 31 already. He ends up in Vancouver, and this goalie situation in Vancouver is very interesting. He gets a one-year deal in Vancouver for 2.5 mil. Chad Johnson, I don't know who the starter is in Vancouver. I don't know how this plays out. I think you have, I don't know that you have a 1A and a 1B. I think you have two 1Bs. In Vancouver, because the other guy, the guy that I like, Anders Nilsson, 27 years old, played in Buffalo last year, also signs in Vancouver on a two-year deal for a five mil. So I got to think he's probably the guy that gets the uh, the chance or the opportunity first. Well, they're going to go with the youth, right? 27 years old. If you're Vancouver, you're coming off of the Ryan Miller era, which was successful in some respects, not so successful in some other respects. So you're hoping that you find a young solution first. But Chad Johnson, like you mentioned, Jay, hard to believe that he's already. 31 years old. Yeah. That is uh, kind of like a stopgap thing, similar to what the Flyers seem to be hoping for with their goaltender situation. Yeah, and, and Nilsson's a big guy. I just look at save percentage. and what you know, He had a high save percentage last year on a bad Buffalo team. I believe this guy's uh, at 27 years old. If he's going to make a run at being a legit number one goalie, now's the time to do it. We'll see if he can get it done in Vancouver. Again, not a great situation. When you look at these teams, these aren't great situations. Teams that are looking for goalies aren't in great situations. Flyers included on this list. Because if you don't have one, you're looking for one, and you don't just find them on trees. And if you have a really good goalie, you're probably not going to trade them. 
Let's look at uh, another guy. Darcy Kemper played in Minnesota, only 27 years old. He gets a one-year deal, 650000 to to uh, back up Jonathan Quick. I thought this was a little shaky on the money situation. I think they should have probably gone for something a little – considering last year, Quick missed so much playing time. To come in with Darcy Kemper as your backup plan seems a little short-sighted to me. A little surprising to see them in the bargain bin, right? Yeah. Looking for backup goaltenders. That's what I thought as well. Not to say anything negative about Kemper because you know what? He is what he is at that price point. But when you look at – you know. One of the the winners on this list is further down. Jay, you'll notice the last name on the free agent list. That's a win at that price point, and you probably yep. could have had this guy. We'll get to him in just a second. Yeah, but yeah, Darcy Kemmer, a little surprised by that, and we'll see if that comes back to bite uh, the Kings in the rear end. The next guy, a very familiar guy, played for the Flyers the last couple of years. Uh, Steve Mason, of course, he ends up in Winnipeg, a, a spot a lot of people, for uh, pardon the pun, pegged him to go for 8.2 for two years. This is another prove-it deal for Steve Mason. Cap hit is relative, pretty much the same as it was for the Flyers at 4.1 per, but he gets a two-year deal, and he'll get a chance to carry the mail out there in Winnipeg, where they've been a mess from Hellebuck uh, to, to uh, Pavlik to uh, Hutchinson. They don't know what they want to do between the pipes. Maybe, they, maybe Mason goes out there and stabilizes that, but he's clearly a guy that doesn't like to share the crease. He likes to be the man. Remember when that team was close to? Mm-hmm. There was a time when we thought Winnipeg was just a year or two away or a piece or two away. Now you're looking at Steve Mason going into a setup where instead of being defensively focused like they were for years, they're pouring the money into the offensive side. Mason's going to be seeing a lot of rubber in Winnipeg. Yeah, Connor Hellebuck last year for Winnipeg, 56 games, 26-19-4 and four, uh, with the two eight nine goals against average and a nine oh seven save percentage. That save percentage needs to come up. We'll see if he can do that and uh, be uh, put the pressure on Steve Mason. Ryan Miller was an all-world goaltender at one point. Those days are long gone, Joe. He's 36 years old now. He's played in Vancouver the last couple years. He's going to be a backup, and he's going to do it to John Gibson in Anaheim. He gets a two-year deal for four mil, getting paid a little bit still on his name, uh, but certainly a good backup for a guy guy like uh, Gibson because Gibson does get hurt. He does go through the injury bug, and certainly a guy like Ryan Miller can come in and spell him pretty well. Well, he can, but the other trouble is that Ryan Miller also suffers from the injury bug from yeah. time to time. So it, you're all of a sudden up the creek without a paddle if Ryan Miller also gets hurt. Obviously, injuries can happen to every goalie, but Ryan Miller is one of the ones, especially at age 36, for a backup, you need him to be available. That's the most important ability, and you're not sure that he's going to be able to deliver that. This signing was a head-scratcher to me. Yeah, oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Look, Miller was a guy that was rumored that could possibly be ticketed to the Flyers. I never believed it, never believed in it. Not signing a 36-year-old goalie. Antti Niemi, another guy uh, on the move from Dallas. They had that albatross. It's just a mess down there between Niemi and Kerry Lettinen. Uh, Niemi ends up now in Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. 700000 He got bought out. So the money, he got... He's getting paid from the Dallas Stars still, but he goes to Pittsburgh. He's going to be the backup to Matt Murray. Do you like this combination? I love this combination. You do. This I is don't. a killer signing. Because, well, like you said, with the buyout, the money wasn't so much of a factor for the Penguins. The, the thing that I admire about Pittsburgh is how creative they are. The fact that they always have to find these interesting solutions because they're always trading their first-round picks and things like that, and yet they still feel the competitive team. Niemi, he had a bomb of a season last year yeah. that was totally Terrible. inconsistent with the rest of his career numbers. So it's a low-risk, high-reward signing, especially with a guy like Murray, uh, 
who you would think that they're trying to reduce his workload a little bit considering his injury in the playoffs. Uh, not only that, but considering the amount of games that the Pittsburgh Penguins tend to play when you include the postseason. And the last guy on the list is uh, Andre Pavlik, who, of course, was in Winnipeg. He was kind of the odd man out last year. Uh, he ends up with the Rangers. They lose Antti Ranta, who uh, moves on. Uh, but uh, all of a sudden, now uh, you get Pavlik in there, 29 years old. This is a great signing. Killer 1. signing. 1.3, one-year deal. Uh, you're going to have to – Henrik Lundqvist shouldn't play more than 50 to 55 games at his age, right? You want to save him for the playoffs. If that team's going to succeed in the postseason, they need the king to be the king when the spotlight's on in the playoffs. You get Pavlik in there. I think this is one of the greatest situations for him and for the Rangers. If you're going to have a part-time goalie, Jay – I don't necessarily want the guy who's just steady because we've seen Andre Pavlik have some blowups, but much like one of my favorite goalies of all time, Yaro Halak, you just totally lock in at some and do things that are spectacular. Pavlik's been like Like that. 2010 when Halak was just unreal it's, against Washington. It's where I fell in love with yeah, him. Yeah, he was unbelievable. So Pavlik has had those games where it's like, 55 saves, 60 saves. Like, yeah. how is this guy doing it? That's what you need from your backup goaltender, especially the way that the Rangers play, where you're not forcing a ton of offense, you're not driving possession. It's a killer signing for the yeah. Rangers. Yeah, and that's one of the better goalie situations in the league. Hey, coming up in just a little bit, we're going to give our top five goaltenders in the NHL right now as we get uh, set to head into the 2017-18 season. But we mentioned him a couple minutes ago. Brian Elliott, of course, signed with the Philadelphia Flyers, a two-year deal worth $5.5 million. Elliott, 32 years of age. Age. He did have a 940 save percentage his first year in St. Louis. This guy's put up some pretty good numbers. Didn't have a great year last year in Calgary, but he joins us right now. Brian Elliott. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, excited to uh, be part of, part of the new organization here. It's another chapter in your career. You've uh, you've had an interesting kind of journey. Uh, you know, drafted in the ninth round. They don't even have nine rounds in the draft anymore. You played at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, how has your journey been as as an NHL goaltender so far? You seem to have uh, had to kind of work for everything that you've gotten. Yeah, um, nothing's uh, come easy, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, being drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore, I kind of take pride in that. Uh, you know, knowing that. You know, it's a long shot uh, to begin with, and you know, I just worked hard. I had four years at university to really, you know, you know, get stronger, get bigger, get faster, and, and really hone my game a little bit. And when I stepped out of there, uh, one of my first pro games was in the NHL, and um, you know, I really, uh, I think that was a huge part of my development. And then, you know, through Ottawa, um, you know, having good early success, making the playoffs, um, and then. Uh, having like a, a down year, getting traded to Colorado, and uh, you know having to sign a two-way with St. Louis the year after, but you know coming back and making the All-Star game that year it was a big, big thing for me to kind of resurrect my career. And um, you know now uh, five years in St. Louis, one year in Calgary, and now I'm in Philly. So um, you know it's it's been a journey, but uh, you know we're the type of people, uh, me and my family, that uh, we like to travel around, see new cities. Uh, taste the food, uh, experience the culture, and, you know, uh, we love Philly every time I go there. Um, you know, I try to see as many sites as I can and, and uh, take in, you know, the downtown and uh, what it has to offer. So we're really excited to get there. Well, you're certainly going to get a little bit better weather, at least. Uh, not that the winters here aren't harsh, but in Calgary, they're really harsh. Uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, your first year in St. Louis, that's 2011-12. You end up with a 940 save percentage. That's pretty darn gaudy and at 156 goals against average. Uh, playing in that system, uh, was Ken Hitchcock the coach at that time? 
Uh, yeah, he came in after the first seven games. It was Davis came before, and then uh, Hitchcock came in. So uh, we changed, and we changed quick, and uh, went on a pretty good run. Yeah, and, and playing on, on a Ken Hitchcock team, as you know, you're playing for, for so many years, uh, the defense is uh, such a, a highly uh, – something that he takes very seriously. So you end up in Calgary, you know, adjusting to a new team. How was that for you? Because a lot of people look at the goaltender position and they say, well, he's just there to stop pucks. But you guys – a goaltender's got to learn the way his defensemen work around him, how the system works, and how it can benefit him to play, uh, to play the game effectively and track pucks uh, the best way possible. How was that adjustment? Adjustment going to Calgary uh, last year, the beginning of the season. Yeah, it was still the challenge. I think um, you know you're with guys for five straight years, and you know how guys are going to play in different situations, and you know what they're going to give you, what they're going to take away. And you know, as a goalie, you're a product of your system. You you have to uh, you have to work with it, uh, and you can't just play your own game. You gotta you gotta know the style, know what's open, know your your uh, weak points out there, and you gotta take them away. So. Um, you know, we, we had to kind of work on that uh, communication a little bit. And, um, you know, we also had a, a kid uh, five days before the season. So that was a big change for wow. us, too. So, um, you know, trying to manage uh, being a new dad and the stresses of playing in, uh, you know, a Canadian city and, and you know, not having the best start. Uh, definitely it, it was tough. But, you know, once we figured it out, we went on a pretty good run and ended up making the playoffs uh, at the end of the year there. Yeah, and you certainly had the, you know, the 10-game win streak for you guys late in the season, peaking at the right time, although it didn't all end great for you last year. You end up in 49 games. This is kind of, uh, as Ron Hextall has alluded to, kind of a 1A, 1B situation between you and Michael Neuvert. Uh, for you, uh, in your own mind's eye, what's the, what's the optimal amount of games you like to play? Uh, I mean, that's the... That's, I guess, the golden question. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. Um, you know, you, you want to play as many as you can. Um, you know, you want to get in there and, and win every one possible. But, you know, it's it's a tough league. And, you know, travel travel gets hard. You have back-to-back games. And you need a couple guys to, to be in there to carry the team, to give guys confidence. And I know Neuvirth uh, is, is a really good goalie. Um, you know, and I think uh, if we work off each other, challenge each other, but, but work with each other as well, I think uh, – it's only benefits uh, the team in the end, and you know, hopefully, we can uh, take uh, take Philly to uh, the playoffs where we deserve to be. Talk about that relationship between uh, the two goaltenders, because it, it is something that a lot of people really maybe not look at, but uh, how you guys can help each other, push each other, and really help each other, uh, you know, kind of have great seasons in tandem. Uh, if you guys are on the same page and, and, and expectations are clear from either coaching or management, that can really be something beneficial to uh, to two goaltenders and really help a team out. Yeah, I think, I mean, it all goes back to how you practice, you know, and when, ever since you're little, you see the other kid at the other end of the ice, and if he's stopping shots, you want to stop more than he does, and I think uh, that just creates good practice habits, and, you know, uh, no goalie makes it to the NHL without wanting to, to be the guy and be the rock and, and play, uh, you know, as many games as they can, but, um, you know, you, you definitely have to challenge each other and challenge yourself, and um, you know, I've always tried to thrive off those uh, situations, and you know, I don't think this will be any different. 
Uh, we're talking with Brian Elliott. And Brian, uh, you're going to be coming into a situation here with the Flyers, as you alluded to. They didn't make the playoffs last year, 88 points, uh, seven points back of a playoff berth. Uh, although they were in the mix, a team with a 10-game win streak as well, uh, similar like you had in Calgary. You're going to have some young defensemen in front of you. Uh, there's going to be some guys coming into the NHL and getting their, maybe not first taste, but their first full-time taste here. Maybe guys like Sam Moran or, or, or Robert Hag or, or whoever that might be, maybe Travis Sanheim. You also have uh, Shane Gostas, Bear, and Ivan Provorov. So when you have some young defense, uh, the, you know, communication is going to be a big key. Are you a guy that tends to talk a lot when you play? Um, yeah, I try to be a voice back there, try to direct a, a little more than, you know, maybe earlier on in my career, just because I think I'm more, uh, you know, um, just comfortable in my own shoes, knowing what I want them to do out there. So I try to do it as much as possible. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've played with a couple of young D-men in St. Louis that made huge strides in just, you know, even a half a season. So it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to play with some of the younger guys and see, you know, how far they can take their game in a, in a quick time. I mean, it's going to be, uh, you know, challenging for them. But uh, they, we do got some, you know, older guys on the back end to, to help, uh, you know, pave that way a little bit. Uh, as a guy that's uh, played in this league for a while, you were in the Western Conference for the most part uh, since leaving Ottawa. So you didn't get to face the Flyers or see the Flyers a tremendous amount, although you would see them on occasion. And obviously, uh, being in the league, you know of uh, some of the star players on this team from Jake Voracek and Claude Giroux. What was your perception before signing here uh, of this team and kind of where they are in their progression right now? Um, you know, they're always a dangerous team, especially with those guys. I think. You know, the power play was so good that you didn't want to take any penalties. Um, you know, they're dangerous from kind of all the corners of the ice. And um, when you got a guy like, uh, you know, Simmons in front kind of just battling and putting pucks away uh, just at will, uh, you never wanted to get in trouble against those guys. So, um, you know, I think it'll, it's an aggressive team um, on the front end and the back end. And, you know, I think if when those aggressive, uh, I guess, genes kick in, and uh, everybody's flowing together. I think that's uh, that's where they get success, and and hopefully I can help out in that area too to you know make a save here and there, and then we can go on the offense. You've been in the league since 2007. Uh, how much has the position changed in that time, Brian? Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of new developments. Goalies are being coached more than ever. There's a lot of science actually to it now, and uh, just perfect positioning and those type of things. Uh, since 2007, really to now, a decade, how much has the position changed? And obviously tracking the puck has become more difficult than ever with the traffic that, that teams tend to put around the blue paint. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you, you don't have that hooking and holding in front. Um, you know, you got uh, guys that you really can't, uh, they can't hold the guys and, and interfere with them. So, you know, D-men D are starting to play different, fronting a lot of pucks. Um, you know, every team plays a little differently, but for us, uh, we try to, you know, stay a step ahead of the curve. And, you know, how we play on our post is completely different uh, than when I came in the league. Um, so making those changes uh, kind of, during your career uh, it's it's fun you look at things in a like you said a scientific way and, and try to break down okay how much net am I covering here is it better this way can I load and push this further away I mean we could go on and on but I'm, I'm pretty sure your listeners don't want to hear you know a math lesson right now on angles but no but uh, you're right you're playing percentages there you'll leave a little bit of the porch open because that's a tough spot to hit if you're in a reverse VH situation if the puck's along the goal line yeah yeah it's, it's little things like that where you, you have to know you know, we call it box control, where your box is, where you're covering the net. And 
Um, you have to know those things so you're comfortable where you're standing. And if you're guessing where the net is, then, you know, odds are they're going to score on you. So it's the little things. It's, it's you know, repetition to, to know where, where those angles are, where you are on your feet, and, and um, you know, what, uh, uh, what your D-men are going to do in front of you. That's, uh, that just adds to it. And, you know, all those numbers change, and you got to kind of do those calculations on the fly. And, you know, I'm not that smart of a guy. I just try to do the reputation, <laughs> repetition so that uh, the body just does it. My mind doesn't have to think. Yeah, you get that muscle memory to make sure that foot's just inside the pipe for the perfect push, right? You want that exactly. muscle memory there. Uh, the, now the most important question, Brian. This, this is what it all comes down to because one of the exciting things when you're a goaltender and you're changing teams and you're a guy that's flashy when it comes to gear, and I'm a gearhead when it comes to goaltending. I'm into mass. I'm into pad setups and everything. You've been a guy that has uh, pretty bold with your setups. Are you leaning a certain way yet? Are you going to go some? Are you going to go heavy orange? <laughs> um, I think it'll be a surprise for you, for everybody. I'm not going to go uh, full orange, that's for sure. But um, yeah, you don't want to look do like the the, the sun kissed guy, right? <laughs> I do love that color. So um, you know, I went all red at the start of the season last year. I liked it. I thought it looked really good, but. You know, when I switched to the white pads, I uh, had a lot more success. So I think I'm going to go more white and uh, a lot of orange and then a little black thrown in there for, uh, for effect. What do you do, you, do, do mask-wise? you do anything thematic uh, that you got in mind for that? Because the, um, the bucket's the, the ultimate uh, work of art for a goaltender. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy that part of it. Uh, I'm working with uh, Dave Art out of Sweden, and you know, he's got a lot of good ideas, but I think I'm going to throw it a little retro uh, back to the old days a little bit and then uh, add some of my personal flair to it, too. So we'll see. I, I haven't seen the sketches yet. I'm not the artist. I just kind of come up with a little bit of idea, and then uh, they put it to the mask. When you have a general manager, final question for you, and we're talking with Brian Elliott, when you have a general manager who played the game, and you know how Ron Hextall played the game, he played it with a bit of an edge, and talking to him, you would never kind of know that now. He's a pretty docile guy. Uh, but when you when you have conversations with him and knowing the way he played the game and the success he had in the league, that's got to be pretty exciting for a goalie, a guy who really kind of understands the mentality of that position. Yeah, I, I kind of came to know him right when I was becoming a goalie. I was a player until I was about 11, and then... Um, when I became a goalie, I was really watching Felix Poffin and like that 96, 97 year, I think they fought. And, um, you know, that was a huge thing for me. I was like, okay, well, you can be a goalie, but you can still mix it up a bit. So I made my decision to change full time. So having a guy like that uh, on your back end and in the brass a little bit, I think it helps, especially as a goalie to, to explain, you know, okay, it's not always the goalie's fault all the time, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Well, he certainly understands that. Brian, nothing but the best of luck for you here coming up this season. It'll be here before you know it. And uh, you're the newest Philadelphia Flyer, and we appreciate you taking a few minutes for us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to get there and uh, meet everybody. There he is, the new Flyers goaltender, Brian Elliott, joining us here on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Jason Mertitis alongside Joe Torty, episode four. Again, you can hit us on Twitter, at Jason Mert, at Joe Torty, or you can hit the podcast page at, at Stick, the number two hockey pod on Twitter. And if you want to sponsor the program, you can also send us an email at Stick, the number two hockey Biz, B-I-Z, at gmail.com. Joe, the moment has come. We just talked to the future, uh, or not, well, the Flyers' number one goaltender heading into the season, presumably, uh, depending on how things kind of shake out with him and Michael Neuvert. But time now to dive into our top five list 
of goalies heading into the 2017-18 season. Yeah, he didn't make it. He didn't Sorry. make it? No, I need to make my list either. <laughs> oh, but, man. All right, well, let's start at number five. We'll work our way down. Uh, you well, hold, go, on, hold on, time out. What are the rules for this? How do we do this? What are the ranking criteria? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the be- the best goaltenders in the league, and I got the way I consider that is I look at what they're able to do in regular season, how many, how much they're able to play, how much they're able to carry their team, and then you got to look at the postseason as well because that's really where a goaltender is measured. I always said Steve Mason was a really good goalie, but you had to do it when the when the time when the playoffs were there. That's where a goalie becomes re- becomes into that rarefied air. Yeah, when the lights are hot. Yeah, I mean, he played well a couple of years ago in that series in 2012, or, or I think yeah, I think it was 2012 or 13 against the Rangers that they lost in seven games, lost in game seven, won nothing. But uh, overall, you know, in the last couple of years, not very good in the postseason. So, but if you want to do it, you got to do it in the playoffs. So that's how I ranked them. So let's start at number five. Your number five goaltender is? Uh, Braden Holtby of the Washington Capitals. Okay. And uh, it's because... I tend to give guys breaks when they have a blow up in the playoffs. It happens to some people. It you get all of the the uh, benefit of the doubt gone though when it starts to become a pattern of behavior. Yeah. So for me, the Capitals have just struggled too much in the second round of the playoffs and Holtby's been the guy for quite some time. So while I applaud his regular season success, I think he's better than people give him credit for at handling the puck, but I, the postseason success is what knocked him down a couple pegs for me. Yeah, I, I have him on my list. He's number three on my list. Okay. Um, I like him. I don't like watching him aesthetically uh, speaking. I don't love the way that he plays the position, uh, but his effectiveness, it can't be denied. He's a very good goalie in this league. He has been. He He's a guy that shows up every day. He plays and goes on streaks. He plays for a very good team, well, regular season team, uh, and has left a little bit to desired, especially in this year's playoffs. But, yeah, I have hope he ranked at number three. Who do you have at four? Uh, at four, I have a little bit of somebody who people might think is a surprise, Pekka Rene of the Nashville wow. Predators. Okay. And the reason why is because Rene still is a clinic for how to play goalie when you're a big guy, how yeah. to make the most of your size. And there were times, like I said, guys can have blowups. Pekka Rene had them in the Stanley Cup final this year, but... There are also times, like during the entire Blackhawks series, when he's absolutely unscoreonable. Yeah. Like, there's no way you can do it. He so, was a wall. Yeah. He, so when you watch him, I, I think that he's a, actually, in the inverse of Holtby, a worse puck handler than a lot of people think he is. He's a very willing puck handler. He'll yeah. come out and get it. But uh, I didn't see that enough to knock him off the list completely. And Pecorino is one of the most physically intimidating goalies for NHL players to play. Yeah, and, and one thing people don't realize about his game, he did not make my top five because um, I thought he was a little bit too inconsistent, not just the playoffs, but I mean, in the regular season as well. And I think his better days are behind him. Uh, but you're right. He, he's a guy that um, is very – he's much more of a gamer than I, you would think he would be, especially at his size. He re- he really attacks the puck. Oh and, yeah, and very aggressive goalie. Okay, his so compete level is very high. Yeah, so we'll go through your list. We're here at number three, and then I'll give my list. Okay, all right. So we'll do it that way. Yep, I've got Bob at number three, Sergey Bobrovsky. Okay, uh, the finest goalie in the NHL this season, this uh, this past season. Yep, and I took, steals games all the time. He does. Yeah, but having said that, I also like Columbus's defensive core a little bit. So it's not his fault, but I took some points off. 
in relation to the guys ahead of him. Seth Jones and now Wierenski there as yeah. well. Yeah, you're right. You're playing in a defensive system. So I, I take some points off versus guys, the two guys ahead of him who steal games all the time and their teams could not care even a lick about defense. They're yeah. just always trying to go score. So you know, And you look at Bob too and you're playing in the John Tortorella system and a lot of blo- shots get blocked. All and, the time. Yeah, and make they make lanes to the net very difficult. Uh, but he obviously insanely athletic, very good goaltender. Another Vesna again this year for Bob, his second. He's on my list as well at number four. Who do you got at number two? Number two is Matt Murray. And we actually agree on this. Okay, so Matt Murray I think would be outside of the two of us, the people who are casual watchers, uh, would not be a popular number two. In fact, for a lot of the reasons that uh, you look at the Carter Hart, Felix Sandstrom comparisons here with the Flyers, Sandstrom's a lot flashier for a lot of people. It was the same thing with Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray. Matt Murray's not going to make the flashing glove save or anything like that. He's just always in the right spot. Always. His goalie style is so boring, but... You take that. When you're the Penguins and you're not stout on defense, you take boring. And that's exactly what Matt Murray is. The only problem is that he does get a little bit banged up. But from the mental standpoint, he's better than any other goalie on the list. Yeah, and then the one thing about him, too, when he's dialed in, he's just... Uh, he's SpongeBob SquarePants. He's square to the puck all the time, and he's a vacuum. He just yes. does not. When he is dialed into his game, there are no rebounds. There is no guy that absorbs the puck like he does in the league. Who's your number one? Number one's Carey Price. Yeah, I, we got to agree on. That. Yeah, and actually, for obvious reasons. I, well, it is obvious, but I I think I there's differ a from mark. you. Yeah, yeah there I, is a question mark. I differ from you because I have always said that it's not the slam dunk where it's Carey Price. 100 points, and the next closest guy is 70 points. Like, a lot of people do feel that way about Carey Price. For me, I like what he's done recently. At this point, the price tag can... Like totally concerns me for Montreal, oh, especially in the long term. Yeah. yeah, how are you? How are you going to do that for the life of that deal? So I do like Carey Price now. The question was for the upcoming season, but uh, there is a question mark. Yeah, and, and and Carey Price, obviously, he's spectacular, and he was drafted to be spectacular. He's turned into what we all thought he would be. Can he stay healthy? That's a big question. Clearly, and and, I've, and like you mentioned, the money it's it is exorbitant, and it's going to hurt them in the back end of the deal, the, the back three years, of course. But we'll see how that kind of plays out. The only guy I have on my list that's different from yours is my number five guy. You had Pekka at number four. I have Andre Vasilevsky in there as well. He first came in when Ben Bishop got hurt last year, and he wasn't great around Christmas. But then when it became his job, Vasilevsky's a guy I think that's just going to be, he's going to take this job now. He's young, but he's a guy that's going to be really good for the Tampa Bay Lightning. You look at him last year, he had a 261 goal against average and a 917 save percentage. He is athletic. He is spectacular. I think he's going to blow people's minds, and I think he will be because I think Tampa Bay is going to rebound as well. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be in the Vesna conversation next year for sure. If you get a chance to pick him up in fantasy, I highly recommend it. Well, they, they didn't have to trade Ben Bishop. They, no. They could have picked Ben Bishop and moved on from Vasilevsky. Although the money even down there was a, a tough situation for them. So, but but if obviously. they liked Bishop that much more, they could have they could have made it work. Yep, but they right. picked Vasilevsky. So that lets you know what they think about him. And uh, I I think you're right. I think that he's going to be at least in the conversation for the Vesna. Yep. And so my five guys are, I had Vasilevsky at five, I had Bob at four, I had Hopi at three, Matt Murray at two and then a carry price at number one the one thing that all of these teams have in common except for the Tampa Bay Lightning and they will be a playoff team next year is they're all playoff teams yep 
They're there you all, go. Yep. Uh, every one of these teams. Look at Pittsburgh, back-to-back cups. Carey Price, they won the, uh, the Atlantic Division. You look at Washington, President's Trophy winner. Uh, Sergey Bobrovsky and the Columbus Blue Jackets. They get right back into the mix here in the Eastern Conference, and he has a great season. And Vasilevsky, with a full-time job between the pipes for the Lightning next year, they're going to have a big bounce-back year. They're going to challenge for that division. And the division lead in the Atlantic this year are the, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we'll see how that plays out. But right now, let's get a check-in from uh, our guy down at the Flyers Development camp. Flyers uh, in their development camp. All the the young guys, the prospects are in camp. Let's get a look at what's going on there and get some local knowledge from Anthony Mangione joining us from Center Ice Magazine, senior writer, Center Ice Philly, joins us right now. Anthony, how are you? Doing great, Jace. How are you? Oh, man. It's been busy in the summertime. You're at the rink watching the prospects. (laughs) Indeed, yes. Uh, It's been been a pretty busy weekend, uh, needless to say, uh, with everything going on around uh, Flyers developmental camp. And and one of the things, Anthony, you know this. One of the biggest areas of uh, that, that people want to hear about is this prospects group. It's been much talked about. It's the future of the team. It's the Ron Hextall way of building this team. Let's go through a few of the guys. I want to get your thoughts. What you saw out of these guys in development camp. And let's start out with a guy. A lot of people believe uh, we did, obviously didn't get to see Nolan Patrick because he had the surgery and still out. We'd have loved to have seen him, but we didn't. But another guy that a lot of people believe can make this team. And I'm not talking. I'm not going to start. In the defensive end. Let's talk about Oscar Lindblom. He had a great year last year in the Swedish Elite League. Came over, got a little taste in the AHL at the end uh, after his season was over. What did you see out of him in development camp? In many ways, he's, he, he's a man amongst boys. Uh, very, very strong. His skate. The biggest thing I noticed is how much his skating has improved since his draft year. He's, he's much fat, much much swifter on his skates. Uh, his anticipatory angles are really good. His circles are really good. He's a hand, he's going to be a handful uh, for for NHL, even NHL level defensemen, in my opinion, coming into the season. Again, there's going to be some adapting being done. For him, uh, going for, obviously going playing against NHL defensemen, but um, I think he's got a really good chance of making the roster. We we spoke with him actually today. Obviously, the focus from he's, he plays either side, right wing or left wing, but the focus last season was on the left wing, and that's exactly in the area where Philadelphia really uh, needs him uh, most notably. His shot is very heavy, very accurate. Uh, he's able to box off defenders, shield them off as he's carrying the puck. He's going to be really good, I think, in establishing beachheads in the opposing end, coming around the net. But most importantly, he's going to be able to plant himself in front and cause and cause disruptions, I think, uh, in front of the goal and being able potentially to deflect uh, shots home. Again, we're going to see how he's going to look against NHL-level defense here once we get to September. But um, my my impressions of Limblom is he looks like he's ready for the show. Is he a guy that's going to need to be a top six forward to, to really kind of show what he can do? Is that, is that kind of the role? If he makes this team, is he a top six forward for the Flyers? I could say top six, top nine. I could see him certainly playing on third line. Uh, it, it, but I would think second line is probably the area that they're going to probably look for him to to really take a role potentially going uh, into the season. Um, I, he, again, his size is something that they they really, really do need, especially after moving off Braden Shen uh, in the, on draft day. Uh, they need a sizable forward, I think, up front. And again, Limblom, his current – we were looking, obviously, in his current um, – weight and height he's definitely well over he's over 200 pounds now he's got a man he's got a man's build at this point now he's over six foot probably six one six uh, six one or so 205 he's gonna be able to i think physically handle things uh at, 
up on the top six. They may start off with him playing on the third line left wing, but if he starts able to really begin showing some offensive production, he can very easily find himself uh, playing left wing on that second line. Anthony, one of the guys that we've been reading about is German Rupsov, who has uh, been rumored to have some of the flashiest hands, at least in terms of the moves. He's a fluid skater. What have you seen from him? And would you say that he's ahead of schedule or right on time in terms of his development? I would say more right on time. He's really strong. One of the things I noticed about him, he's got a, again, his his, his wrist shot's pretty heavy. Um, He was a little hesitant at certain times. And again, he is coming off uh, his, his, wrist surgery uh you know at the end of last season but he's got a pretty strong backhand his shot's pretty accurate the one thing i noticed about him he is a full up front he really is in terms of you know his physical capabilities he was physically engaging uh along the boards every time a guy had a puck a puck at his feet um or or a defenseman had a puck at their feet he would go right at them and try to strip the puck right off them and, and get physical as well um i do think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the decision is going to be on rubsov again the, the He's one of those players right now we have to look at. He's a listed center. He's good on draws, but um, he did play left wing uh, for Chikutami in the Quebec League when he came over from the KHL last year um, and looked very good. But he played left wing primarily because Chikutami had him uh, playing with their best players and they already had a center, I think, in Nicholas Waugh uh, up front, and they played all their best players on the top line. But he equally, he told us uh, on day one, on Friday that he had, he was switching back and forth between center and left wing. So he's one of those guys I think that could potentially fit in in either spot. I'd say probably another year or so. I know, again, he's at six foot 187. I think that's an accurate size. I know there were some reports saying, oh, he seems smaller than he is. He plays bigger than than that, and he's got a good, strong frame. He's going to be a going to be a real pest to deal with for a lot of uh, for a lot of people. And again, adding to the fact that he's got you know a pretty good shot as well, accurate, and his backhand is I think something that's underrated as well. Anthony, let's let me let's talk about the defense because this mm-hmm. is the area where the cupboard is uh, rather stocked when it comes to Flyers prospects, and uh, we obviously know Sam Moran and Robert Hag not a camp, uh, but those are two guys that look ticketed for the NHL. So let's look at a guy who was there. Let's look at Travis Sanheim. This this player is very intriguing to a lot of people, and and rightfully so. He could end up being the best of the bunch. What have you seen out of Sanheim? Where's his progression from last year at development camp to now after playing that year with the Phantoms? in the AHL? The biggest thing I'm noticing about him is how efficient he is uh, in, in, his, in his skating in terms of he's just he's, he just covers a lot of range very quickly. The phrase I like to use is he skates like a gazelle at times in terms of how he can just swoop in on defense uh, on uh, on opposing forwards in this case and, and blanket them. Um, he's physically engaging more. He's never going to be a big boomer. I don't think, but he's he's going to physically engage. The biggest thing you notice is again his paths are absolutely just on the money. He really he's become much more of a pinpoint passer. Again, he looks like a, in this this camp he looks like a man again a man among boys uh, as a phrase used for some of the players that have been here for a little while now. But today he had a shot today that was just earmarked to from ten feet out that you just don't give him time because if he gets to pick his spots, he's going to rip one right by guys. He's really, again, I, I thoroughly impressed with him. I, I, I would say he's, he, he may or may not start the season. I think he, he, his intention is he's going to 
try to make the team out of camp. That's expected, and he said that as well. I do think it's probably more likely uh, that he does need to put maybe a little bit more uh, strength on his frame, although looking at him in the locker room today, he look, he, to me, he looks like an NHL defenseman in terms of his size. He's like he's muscular but also rangy as well in terms of how he, his physical build is. So in my mind, he while he may not start the season potentially with the Flyers, I think he will probably at some point this year uh, have a cup of coffee with the team or even or be with them even longer than that at a certain point. Anthony, who disappointed you during developmental camp? Um, the player that I said that kind of was a little bit initially for the first few days, I didn't notice a lot of Nicholas Alde Cabell yet. Coincidentally, today he looked from he looked really good in the three on three tournaments. I didn't really notice him too too much. Um, goaltending wise, um, I would say it was Matej Tomek who. I think you know he he's missed a lot of he's missed a bit of time, but he had had, had some had some difficulties in terms of tracking the puck at times. That was probably one of the guys that I was a little bit uh, disappointed, and hoping to see a little bit more out of him, especially considering his situation. That he's going to be going to Waterloo uh, in the USHL soon and having an opportunity to play again after being kind of you know in North Dakota where he would be basically fell as the backup and never basically never played. So for me, it was, I was hoping to see potentially a little bit more out of him. Um, other players that, again, in terms of overall, in terms of saying potentially I didn't notice as much, Cooper Marodi, I was hoping to see a little bit more out of him, uh, potentially. Uh, Vorobiev, I offensively was hoping to see more out of. That being said, he was I thought he was very good uh, defensively, uh, the, the, uh, the Flyers' fourth-round pick from a few years ago. He's got good size, but hoping to see – uh, a little bit more from him uh, during camp. And again, in terms of the offense defensively, I think he's very good defensively. And I think he could potentially be a good bottom six center for the flyers. But again, this is the first time he's really being over to the States as well. Um, he's going to probably play with the Phantoms this year. Um, so again, Game action will be one of the things I'll look at. Matthew Strome had good moments as well, but again, there's a lot of skating needs to improve there. Done. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. In terms of, he's got a good, accurate shot, but he got stripped several times today during the three-on-three. Pucks at his feet. He wasn't particularly quick. He's definitely going to be, in my mind, a long, uh, more of a long-term project. Yeah. Let's stay in the crease real quick. Let's look at Carter Hart and Felix Sandstrom. Obviously, uh, the Brian Elliott deal signals a bridge to one of these guys. What did you see out of Hart? What did you see out of Sandstrom? Uh, again, with Hart, again, he had a, it's tough sometimes to evaluate the goaltenders when you're playing a half ice the way they were in this tournament. And, uh, again, Hart got kind of hit uh, in one of the mid game in one of the early round robin games for like four four straight goals in very rapid order. That being said, Hart, the biggest thing that I noticed about Hart, and we spoke to him in the locker room today. Um, it's the fact that he's working a lot on his um, his lateral movement, his post-to-post movement. If you're comparing him and Felix Sandstrom, Sandstrom's got tremendous athleticism. Anybody who watched him during the World Juniors this year saw that. Mm-hmm. Hart is not quite in the same category in the athleticism department, but he's a he's a kid who's very very bright. We his interview with him today was just again you didn't you don't think you're talking to an 18 year old. You're thinking he seems like a 28 year old veteran. Um, I think Hart certainly is a guy that is going to be in the fight. There was nothing about this, what happened today, that 
makes me think that he, his future isn't going to be bright for this organization. He had a tremendous year at Everett the last two seasons. He's going to go back to the WHL again. He's worked, his glove hand's great. It's just a case of he's going to, as he becomes a pro, just try to work on getting better and better at his lateral movement more than anything. Yeah, I know they've been working a lot with uh, with Kim Dillabaugh and other uh, goaltending coaches on his post uh, his post uh, positioning and those type of things as well. And anybody that's going to really kind of blow our mind when we uh, get to the preseason, they get on the ice, and we're going to say, "Well, wow, look at that! Is it Morgan Frost, or is somebody going to really pop off the page at us here?" I think the player you got to keep an eye on when we get into September is a player that they don't even have that, that's technically not their uh, their property right now. I was very impressed with uh, 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 Ivan uh, Kosarenkov today. He had a tremendous goal during the uh, tournament today, where he no he basically looked off the goalie on one play and he he just was able to wire one. Um, I believe it was uh, Darian Hanson that he got to bite the wrong way, and it was just one of those goals where everybody in the arena just gasped. Yeah. Uh, and and he's one of those guys that if he gets to camp in September, and I, he should because I don't think there's anything that he did. It was a no look wrist shot, and it was just it was just tremendous. And also pretty good. He had a great feed to uh, defenseman Linus Holberg, who coincidentally was the guy who scored the uh, game-winning goal for the tournament today. Uh, another guy that you have to keep an eye on as well. He's going to be back over in Sweden again this year. But Holberg is another one who really had, had good jump today as well. Frost I was impressed with too. I, I will have to say that he started off a little slow on Friday, but again, good passes. He made a great pass, I believe, to uh, to Lee today. Uh, that one of the, one of the uh, free... Um, invitees uh, that you really saw out of him um, some really smart playmaking. And we had a great, a great conversation with him the other day on the first day about, you know, who he models his game after we're talking about Morgan Frost. He's he, he models his game after Michael Granlund from the, from the Minnesota wild. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty accurate because of the way, if anybody's ever watched Granlund, it's very, he's got sort of, he's thinking two steps ahead and is very quick on, and is very quick off the skates. So he, again, I don't know. I don't think Frost necessarily is going to make the team out of camp, but I think he's certainly within a year. He's got, he's still got to put some more, I think some more meat on his frame and grow a little bit before he makes the roster. Man, one of those, some of those taller guys certainly got to do that. And we appreciate it. Check him out on Twitter. Anthony Mingioni, M-I-N-G-I-O-N-I, senior writer at Center Ice Philly Magazine. We appreciate the knowledge, man. We'll be talking to you up the road. Thanks, Jason. Much appreciated. Uh, special thanks to Anthony Mingioni from Senior Writer at Center Ice Philly Magazine. Great information there on the Flyers Development Camp. Right now we take a few questions from the people following us on Twitter at Stick to Hockey Pod on Twitter, at Joe Torty, at Jason Martitis. Again, we always like to get your questions in, and uh, we'll have another episode for you coming up next week as the countdown to the 2017-18 season is on, and we're going to get into some more deeper kind of topics and off the beaten path uh, kind of chalk topics as we go through, especially the month of August leading into this NHL season. But let's uh, let's look at some questions right now, Joe. Let me ask. We'll start with this one from Jacob. Uh, he says, Jake, F-A-H-H-S uh, tweeted in, what kind of role do you see for Scott Lawton? Do you even see him making this team? Seems like a career fringe guy. Uh, we got a new deal today. Gets a two-year extension from the Flyers, Scott Lawton. He's a guy that cannot, it doesn't have a two-way deal anymore. Can't be sent back down. He's a guy that is going to make this team this year. They saw a lot out of him in uh, the, this, the past year with the Phantoms. In the AHL, really developed his entire game. Talked to Chris Pryor about this in episode one. Uh, he's a guy that's going to make the team. I, look, I don't love this situation for Scott Lawton. I, I'm not saying it was time to give up on Scott Lawton, 
but it's getting really close to cutting the cord for me because you got so many forwards on Jay, this team. Jay, that's the way it looks, but they don't feel that way. Clearly, they yeah. protected him in the expansion draft. They gave him this new deal. Clearly, they're high on Scott Lawton, and it's not a, an issue of you know they're pot committed and they drafted him and everything else like that. They're trying to recoup costs. They like him, so they're going to give him every opportunity to succeed. I All got right. a good one here, by the way. Go ahead. This is from uh, Nick Leal, N.R. Leal, maybe. What are the chances of a 30-second franchise in the NHL? And uh, who would it be? Seattle, Quebec, who would get it? Well, I think I think both of those two are the obvious two. Uh, you look at Quebec, you know, you almost think that they were promised one when Vegas came in. Yes. But with the Canadian dollar being where it is, it didn't happen. It was too much money as an expansion fee to come into the league. You got to think that the NHL is going to find its way back to Quebec at some point. They have a building there ready to go. I think it's going to end up there in Quebec. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen, when the NHL will decide to expand again. See, expansion in a, in a pro sports league is like a house of cards. When you pull them out, you never know which one's going to be the one that knocks the entire house down. Right. You can go too far. I think it's more likely that they don't get an expansion team, but then maybe a team moves to Quebec or to Seattle. Seattle's another place I think that could use it. They'd have a good rivalry there with the with the California teams and also with Vancouver. So and, and would help out the travel situation out there. Those sure. teams yep. travel an insane amount. Uh, and will kind of the Quebec team. You need that almost. You know, you need these teams. You got to balance out this league right now. You have thirty one teams. You have an odd number of teams. So you have an odd number of teams. That each each conference doesn't have an equal number of teams right exactly so it's a so, bizarre situation so if you're asking will they expand the answer is book it oh like, yeah it's happening, happening. Yep. no doubt about it and it's a great way to raise uh, the level of hockey related revenue which everybody wants to do no doubt so no doubt about it. all right let's look at this question here uh last season the team's hands were tied for salary all right let's go to this one steve appleman tweets in and again he's tweeting into at stick to hockey pod in your mind, who is the future number one goalie of the Flyers franchise? Is it Hart, Sandstrom, or other? Obviously, they signed Brian Elliott to the two-year deal. We know he's not the long-term play at 32 years old. So who is the guy? And then we talked to Anthony about what he saw, about Carter Hart, about Felix Sandstrom. In my opinion, I think the guy is Carter Hart. That's It's either he or Sandstrom right now. The lack of use of Anthony Stollars is very telling to me. I just don't think they don't think that much of Alex Lyon either. But to me, it's either Carter Hart or Sandstrom. And I give the lean right now to Carter Hart, who I think with a little more work and a little bit maturing of his body is going to is really going to kind of separate himself from the other guys. But Sandstrom, and as Anthony referred to, his athletic ability kind of puts him in a, in a, in a category that you can't really quantify just yet. You don't right. know how he's going to be able to harness that. And at the goalie position, it's you need to have that athletic ability, but you also need to have it between the ears. And is he going to be able to use that athletic ability to stop pucks in the most effective way? So it's between those two guys, but I'll lean Carter Hart, and I say he's probably at least two years away, maybe three years away. Jay, speaking as the athletic goalie with better stats, who got passed over for a guy who had worse stats and better fundamentals and better positioning, that's the way the teams think when they build teams. Yep. I can speak from personal experience. This is the way the teams think. So the Flyers, if they look at Carter Hart, they look at his mental game, they look at the, the reports from the developmental camp where that he was so adept at reading plays that he was all set and ready to make the save like 
almost on top of the shooter in the slot before the pass had even gotten there and before it had been corralled. So can that hurt you in terms of over-anticipating? Yes, but that's what they like, the fact that he's so solid, even though Sandstrom's the athlete, I agree with you. It's probably going to be Carter Hart, or at least that's the way that the team's representing it now. Yeah, that's the way it seems for sure. You got another one? Uh, the other one that I had was uh, from a Blues fan talking about whether— uh, Is this Brett? It is Brett. Yeah, yeah he's, Brett he's the a Blues frequent fan. tweeter. He, uh, he wants to know how much Braden Shen is going to help out the St. Louis Blues power play. Oh, well, he's going to help it. <laughs> There's no question <laughs> about it. Uh, th- look, th- here's the deal. Braden Shen, for, from what we saw here in Philadelphia, is a very good power play player. He had 17 goals last year on the power play, 25 on the season. And th- the strength comes for him. The best part of his game is that trigger man on the power play. Drayden Shen, what he gives you five on five, he needs to be more physical more often. We all know he that. He changes games when he hits people. Yeah. He does. When, when he plays that way, he's disruptive and he's at his best. Can he play that way all the time is the big question mark. We'll see how that translates for the Blues. But yeah, he will absolutely help their power play. There's no question about it for me. So uh, one more question. Let's go to one more here. I got a good one here. Do you? Okay, go ahead. Assuming Hag and Moran make the team, is Manning or Amac the odd D-man out for the Flyers? Well, no chance either of those guys is out, I don't think, unless they're buying out McDonald. Well, right? I don't know if he means buying out or, or trading. Or I think what he means is who's the guy going to be in the press box. And Manning will be the seventh D-man, in my opinion, and a guy who can come in when somebody gets hurt and he'll be fine. They love Brandon Manning. Say what you want about his game. He go out, he's a punching bag. He'll go out there and get in a fight and get his, his, his rear end kicked in. They protected him, yeah. too, in the expansion draft. But the thing is, is... Andrew McDonald is not that guy because he's the partner of Ivan Provorov. Right, and that so, pairing works. Yeah, and, and say what you want, and, and look, McDonald's got a lot of things to improve. His gaps are horrific last year. He's got a lot of things to improve, but he's going to be his pairing. So he's not going to split up that pairing. So the seventh D-man to me, provided that Moran and Hag both come in and are performing well, is going to be Brandon Manning. Uh, but he'll come into the lineup if one of those two is not performing well. I don't think that they're going to put McDonald in the press box within the first 50 games of the year because they want to keep that top pairing together. And they're going to see a lot of minutes. They're going to see more minutes this year. And look at Provorov this year. You're going to see the offensive part of his game. It's going to be exciting to watch. Seven goals last year. He could double that this year. One more question from Twitter. This one's from at Joe Torty. Is the Tyler Johnson signing a good one for Tampa Bay? Uh, well, what did he get? Seven years, $5 million? Yeah, $35 million. Yeah, a $5 million AAV. Simple math tells me that. <laughs> um, man, I don't know. i, I got to really look at this a little bit closer. You think, look on paper and you go, okay, the cap hit's not that bad. I, I just look at the situation and go, wouldn't you rather have had Joanne than Tyler Johnson? Right, picking... One instead of the other is questionable, yeah. especially because Duran doesn't have the injury concerns in the past that exactly. Tyler Johnson's had. But. Yeah, and, and Tyler Johnson's not exactly the biggest guy in the world, obviously, but uh, that one remains to be seen, but it's a good question, okay. no doubt about it. All right. All right, that's going to put a wrap on episode four of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening. Again, you can hit us on Twitter at Stick to Hockey uh, Pod uh, on Twitter, at Joe Torty, at Jason Mert. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up off and tell your friends, tell your family, keep it, uh, checking in on the podcast. Who are we going to have next week? We have no idea yet, but it's going to be great. We're going to book some uh, big guests for you, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the greatest sport on earth. Anything else you want to say? No doubt about it, Jason. Just stick to hockey until then, man. Uh, I think I can do that.